Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening his word. All right, turn with me, if you would, to Daniel 5. That's where we'll be. And we have been in the book of Daniel for a few weeks now, and our our series is called Faithful Exile. And uh, what's cool is it actually uses the word exile in this chapter. Uh, Daniel 5, it's a little bit past halfway through your Bible, but um, it's about a a, a really a guy, um, the story of, of Daniel, who is in exile. He is a person who's not in his homeland. He has been forcibly taken from his homeland, put in Babylon, and we're, we're going through this narrative of, of the things that goes on with Daniel, and we're also seeing these different kings, these different stories of these different kings. And uh, in chapter 4, what we really saw through King Nebuchadnezzar is that, that the repentant, those that turn from sin into God, can receive grace no matter how sketchy your past. And maybe that's comforting to you. It is comforting to me. That no matter how sketchy your past, the repentant can receive grace no matter what. And then this chapter, what we'll see is that the rebellious and the, the prideful, they're going to receive the wrath of God no matter how comfortable their present situation seems to be. So no matter how high and mighty you think you are, how secure you think you are, if you are a rebel against God and you are prideful and lifted up against him, the wrath of God is coming for you. So I know that sounds very hellfire and brimstone. It's just the Bible. And so pride is the issue. This is really a problem of of treasure, as we will see, that what we value most sets the edges in the trajectory of our lives. There's a book called You Are What You Love. That's really it. It's you are what you love, and so you can love yourself. You can be self-determining, self-exalting, and that's pride. Or you can love God, and that, the essence of that is worship, is a life of worship and humility. And so those are really the two paths. You can love yourself or you can love God. And what is cool about repentance is that if you are here and you are a Christ follower, so you are a son or a daughter of the Most High through Christ, and you, you might, if you're honest, say, well, my, my love is kind of marbled. Like it's partially self and partially God. If, if, if you realize that, by the way, you're right. And so we can repent of that today, repent of where we're prideful, and turn to God and receive restoration and and continue on in the sanctification process. Some of you may have never actually repented of your pride, and so this is an opportunity for that as well. So the offer of repentance uh, is there. And so um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we're going to read it and go through it together. I would strongly recommend you have your Bible in front of you because it's a lot of text. So there's a new king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He just kind of disappears In verse 37, now we've got King Belshazzar. So King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, by the way, not his actual dad, 
um, but predecessor, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So this is a festival of sacrilege. It's an idolatrous feast. Taking the things of God and, and bringing them in and, and drinking from them. And um, I don't know if this is a word, but, but it is to me because my dad taught me to, to, you can waller in something. Like a pig wallows, I think. Wallows, it sounds English. But if you're Texan, it's waller. So he's wallering in his sin. He's glorying in his sin in front of all these people. And this is a tremendously rebellious, gross, prideful exhibition that we're, we're looking at here. So verse 5, this is, by the way, where that, that phrase, the writing on the wall, comes from, if you've heard that. Look at God's response to this festival of sacrilege. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this reading and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So this is the writing on the wall. Immediately there's a, a human hand and God is speaking to Belshazzar through this terrifying inscription and he is perplexed, he is mortified, his knees buckle, he, he, he goes pale because there's a message to him. And, and so he calls in his wise men, which, which is a theme in Daniel. These wise men that he keeps calling in aren't. Like they can't tell him the, the interpretation. And so come, tell me what this means. I'm terrified. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing in the preceding chapter. They can't tell him anything. And so he, he panics. And notice, just for you leaders out there, when, when you panic as a leader, the people around you panic too. His lords panic. They're freaked out by this. So there's one person who has a little bit of, of awareness. Verse 10, the queen who is probably the queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords. Isn't it funny that, that a woman comes and speaks good measure into men? So she comes in to the banqueting hall, and the queen declares, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, 
because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So she knows what's up. She's actually a smart lady, and she's like, hey, dummy, you should call Daniel in. And so, Daniel, come, please come. And, and she knows Nebuchadnezzar's story. So the queen mother actually pays attention to history. And so she knows what's going on here. And so she says, go get him. And so Daniel comes, verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. God keeps doing this over and over again. Bringing Daniel in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. He's just parroting what the queen mother told him. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make it known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards for another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways? You have not honored. So Daniel retells the story when he walks in. He says, this is your history. This is what has gone on. And Daniel, when the king says, I'm going to give you all this, this stuff. Just tell me the inscription. I'm going to give you all these clothes and a gold chain. Daniel's like, keep your money. I don't need your stuff. He's much more terse with Belshazzar than he was with Nebuchadnezzar. So he's like, keep your money. And then he says in verse 20, Neb's problem was pride. 
He says that his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. So Neb's problem was pride. And then he says, verse 23, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Your problem is pride. Your problem is not ignorance. It is arrogance. It is not that you don't know these things. It's not that you don't know the most high God rules and gives kingdoms to whom he will. It's that you are lifted up against yourself and you are proud. And so you have a heart given to self-worship and self-determination. And so you, Belshazzar, are proud. And now, this is what this writing means. Verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent from the presence of God. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found weight wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So this is a sequence of weights. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. It's like pound, pound, ounce, half ounce. So it's, it's, a, it's a sequence of weights, of measurements. And it, it could also be said, numbered, weighed, and divided. What this is is a verdict on Belshazzar. It's that you are, are, are numbered, you have been found wanting, your kingdom is divided, this is all going poorly for you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, this is the verdict, looking straight at Belshazzar, you're going to be humbled. And so then verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed, he, he follows through on what he said, with clothed with, with purple, which is royalty, it's real expensive clothing. A chain of gold was put around his neck, which denotes riches and royalty at the time, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So Daniel gets promoted, Belshazzar gets assassinated. Belshazzar said, I'll give you all this stuff. Daniel's like, keep your stuff. I, I don't know, I guess he gives it to him anyway. And, and, and then it's the end of Belshazzar. So the, the, the third in the kingdom is the highest job available. God keeps promoting Daniel to glorify his name. And so interestingly, the Medo-Persians, these people that came and conquered Babylon. There's a Greek historian named Xenophon, and he wrote that they were waiting, the Medo-Persians were waiting on a time when these Babylonians were partying like this, when they were lulled to sleep by their comfort, by their drinking, by their immorality. They were waiting because they were weakened. And so the enemy was approaching as they were sitting in their pride and in their comfort. And it reminds me of, of I don't know if y'all seen the movie Titanic, um, but that actually happened too. Um, 
And so there's people playing music, beautiful music, as the ship goes down. These people are playing beautiful music as the ship goes down, as the the Medo-Persians are on their way with their swords and their battle implements ready to take over. And October 11th, 539 B.C., that's the death of Belshazzar. So what God commands will come to pass. And so I I just want to talk about some, some really lessons from Belshazzar's prideful heart. Four of them that we can see in this text. And so this pride that we talk about, it is, it is self-exaltation. It is a heart bent in on itself. And that is what we see in Belshazzar. And, and what, what I want you to know as you read your Bible and you see Belshazzars, you see people that, that you're inclined to go, that guy is such an idiot. And he is. But you are never meant We are never meant to look at these foolish people in the Bible and just think that they are stupid, but you are to see yourself in them. They are a mirror, not a mockery. So we can learn from this. So the first thing that we see, number one, Belshazzar feasts in the high seat. He feasts in the high seat. He is in front of all of these people. He's making a great feast. People love people that have a lot of money and throw big parties. So he's doing that, and he's in front of the thousand. He's at the honored place. Jesus says, take the low seat. Take the place of, 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 of less repute, of less visibility. Just, just, just get out of the way. Take the low seat. It says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Is that not literally what he's doing? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Move out of the way, take the low seat. But we want the place of honor and acclaim, don't we? You may not be Belshazzar in front of thousands with you know, your chalices and concubines and whatnot, but I guarantee you, like I do, you want the power to make choices. You want to be autonomous. And you want credit. Not like financial credit, but like credit. Like, Brad's actually really smart. That was a good choice to improve social standing. No one wants the low seat because the low seat is the place of lesser social standing, lesser status. And we want attention. This is why social media is a thing. This is why you might be the loudest person in the room. This is why you say things that make you sound smart. It's why I do the same thing. We want attention. We want to be seen by other people to inflate our egos. And so Belshazzar feasts in the high seat. This is something the Lord has has just encouraged and and convicted me on. I don't usually have words for a year or anything like that, but um, this year I'm, I'm really just thinking about and praying through taking the low seat. What does that look like? Number two, he profanes the holy things of God. So if you're on the Bible reading plan that that we are on as a church, that five-day plan, if you're not, it's on the website. You can go get it. It's a good plan. Um, You were recently in Exodus 30 where they're outfitting the temple with all these things. 
all these implements, these utensils. And these utensils are consecrated. They're set aside and they're most holy. They're not just like nice things that are on stage at a church. Like these things are blessed by God. It said that there's like this contagious consecration that if you touch them, you become holy. So when they're feasting with these implements of God, it is so disrespectful. It's shocking. And so they're taking the things of the temple and they're defiling them. And I was just thinking about in 1 Corinthians 6. So your, your body is a temple. Do you know this? Sexual immorality. You might go, how did you get from here to there? Your body is a temple. A temple of the Most High God, consecrated, set apart by Him. In which the presence of God dwells, and you are meant, and I am meant, to be pure before God. And so what it says, what Paul writes to this church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I think we're starting in verse 18, yeah. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Your body, if you are in Christ, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So that is one of the ways that you may defile the holy things of God is through sexual immorality. And the Bible says, flee from it. Whatever you take that is given by God for your own self-exaltation is profaning the holy things of God. And so where are you doing that? Number three, he honors the gods of gold and silver. So they're not only drinking wine from these valuable implements, but they're praising the gods of gold and silver and wood and bronze, and they're just, they're polytheists. It's not that they're necessarily against Yahweh, the God of the Bible, it's just that he's a God among other gods. So it's like, we're cool with him when he offers the interpretation, but, you know, thank you other gods for all of these things. And so this is like this, this idea of Jesus among other gods. And you, there may be zero, maybe you are a universalist, but I would guess there's probably no self-proclaimed universalists in here. But you might be. Welcome if you are. Where you think there's many gods and Jesus is one of them and he's a way, well, he says, John 14, 6, I am the truth and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to know the God of the Bible is very intolerant of polytheism. And so if Jesus is someone that you, you, you put on your shelf of trinkets, of, of idols, next to your politics and next to your money and next to sex and next to comfort, if you put him among the other gods as opposed to bowing the knee to him, that's polytheism. It's idolatry. 
And, and God's response to that is verse 5. So they're praising, and then immediately this hand comes and says, no, 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 no. Isaiah 42, this will be on the screen. I, I, I love this. Just take this in. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not share his glory. It is not right for him to do so. And so where is your heart divided? Where is Jesus next to another love that is co-equal with him? And you're like, I'm cool with Jesus. And what has your heart a friend of mine told me this week he's in treatment for addiction and he, he, he heard this quote. This guy said, I'm so glad that I got to build a God that works for me. You hear that? Can you relate to that? Have you made God in your own image? That he works for you instead of you bowing to him. He will not give his glory to another. And then number four, and this is, this is it. This is the pride. He refuses to bow down. It's not ignorance. It's arrogance. He sees God's wisdom. He sees God's mercy and grace toward Nebuchadnezzar. He sees God's power and his insight to declare the inscription. He sees God working mightily through Daniel, and he just doesn't care. And so part of it is chronological snobbery. He looks back at Nebuchadnezzar and he's kind of like, well, that's, that's another guy. That's a different time. People back then didn't know as much. But he's got pride. And there's, there's no excuse for Belshazzar. He knows there's no excuse for us. Romans 1 says that all are without excuse because we've seen the creation. When you see a beautiful sunset, a mountain, a newborn child, and you don't see God behind that, and you don't praise Him, you have no excuse. All have seen. But even more, the, the heat is turned up in the book of Hebrews Chapter 10, I want you to just read this with me. This is for those of us that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Whew. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You see, those of us that have heard the gospel, the offer of Christ, have even less excuse that to respond to the gospel 
with rejection or with apathy is profaning the blood of Christ. And so if you don't know the gospel, if you don't know this narrative arc, you have, I have sought the high seat, exalted ourselves above God, profaned the holy things of God, willfully rebelled against God, though we know the laws written on our hearts, though we know, and even worse, and driving all of that is that we have an adulterous love, a love, a devotion to something that is not God, and that is pride. And so we do not submit to God in our own flesh, in our own nature, and we are by nature children of wrath. I know it's heavy. It's what the Bible says. But God... But God became man. He was incarnate in flesh and he came and Jesus with the heart, he declares his heart, he is gentle and lowly. Not like Belshazzar. And he comes and he sacrifices himself for the profane to atone for your profanity, for my profanity. And he takes that on himself And therefore you have in Christ pardon and adoption into the royal family. And you have an inheritance of God. God gives you God through Christ. And in Christ you are weighed and you are found not lacking but sufficient because his righteousness is given to you. That's the gospel. And so you have to respond to that. You have to do something with this news. And and the real thing here is this is all a heart problem. It's a heart issue. What you treasure, what you value most, you you will love and you will worship. And so where your time goes, where your energy goes... Where you, where you run to in times of danger or in boredom, where your money goes, where your heart goes. It tells everything about you. It tells the story. And we trade treasure. We trade trinkets for God's grace, and this is toxic pride. The truth of the matter is, Belshazzar and you and me, friends, it's not about you. The Bible's not about you. This world is not about you. Your life is not about you. And that's good news because it's maniacal. And so we trade these treasures, we have wrong loves. There was once a wealthy man, and he had a son, a father and a son. And the father loved art. And they were rich enough, you know, real rich people collect art. That's a thing, I guess. I'm not one, so I don't do that. But. And they loved art together, and they went all over the world collecting art, looking at art, buying art. And so they stocked this big house full of all this art, Rembrandts and Monets and Picassos. And the young man gets old enough to, to go off to war. And he does. 
And so he goes off to war, and the father is, is so anxious, and he gets that dreaded knock on the door months after he's deployed. His, his son is, has been killed. And so months after that, a young man appears at the door. And he says, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I know your son. And he, he, he saved my life. He gave his life that I could be here. He says, I, I don't have anything to give you. You're a wealthy man, but I know. Your son talked about you love art. And I'm not an artist, but I took an art class while I was on leave. And so I, I painted you this, this picture, and he, he reveals it. It's a picture of his son, a rather crude picture, but he knows it's his son. It's the best he could do. The father weeps, and he takes it, and he puts it on his mantle. Well, the, the, the wealthy man, the, the father, he has no heirs, and eventually he dies, and they have this auction. And so the auctioneer comes and, and he starts with the picture of the sun. He puts it on the easel. And there's all these art collectors and these wealthy people and they're like, what? Uh, what? Why are we doing it? No one wants that. And so the auctioneer's like, we'll, we'll begin bidding with the sun and no one says a word. And finally this crusty old dude in the back, you know how people do, they feel for their wallet, you know, do I have any money? And he, he finds all the money he has and he says, $10. Nobody says anything else. And he's like, do I hear 15? And they're like, no. He's like, all right, sold. Gavel goes down. And he says, come. And so the old man comes, and he gives the old man the sun and everything else, all the Monets, all the Picassos, the Rembrandts, all of it. And so everyone's furious. The crowd can't believe it. And so the auctioneer says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I did not explain, but it was the will of the Father that he who gets the sun gets it all. Do you understand the treasure you're trading? Do you understand where your heart is divided? Are you trading that treasure? Do you want the, the Picassos, the Monets, the whatever, the gold and silver? Or do you want the feast of knowing Jesus? In verse 22, he says, You, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. You've lifted up yourself against the king of heaven. Have you humbled your heart? Do you understand what is at stake? It is not only your salvation. It is your great treasure. If you aim at the treasure of this world, you will not get it. You will not get enough of it. If you aim at heaven, you will get Christ. And so the music, by the way, that they were playing on the Titanic, it wasn't just random music, it was a, a hymn. And it was called, Nearer My God to Thee. And it says this, Nearer my God to Thee, nearer to Thee, even though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my songs shall be nearer my God to Thee. So those people sinking into the abyss were not sinking into the abyss but they were enjoying a reunion, a meeting with God himself, a greater treasure. And so where is your heart lifted up, divided? 
God, help us to humble ourselves under him and receive his treasure of knowing him through Christ today. Would you pray with me? God, you are the most high. You are high and lifted up. Who, who are we that you are mindful of us? Holy Spirit, minister to us. Our, our, our minds, our hearts are idolatrous and confused and, and rebellious and We, we want to see Christ. We know that it is your will, Heavenly Father, that, that he, she, who gets the Son, gets it all. That the trinkets of this world are nothing compared to the treasure of heaven. And so open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of Jesus the sufficiency of Jesus, the pleasure of knowing Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for our pride where we are high and lifted up against you, the God of heaven, and help us to bow. Help us to joyfully bow and help us to sing for you are worthy of our songs. In Jesus' name, amen.